Father, I want to pray that your anointing will be upon your word today, O oh God. Pray that you will speak, that men and women here will understand your word today, Lord. I pray, O oh God, that whatever has gone before, Lord, thank you for the worship. Thank you for what Grant shared through the communion service. Thank you, Lord. Please, O oh God, do not stop speaking. To us we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Many weeks ago, we opened up this book, 1 John, and I always go back because um, John Tebeth, when he preached um, in that first chapter, he described God from that first chapter very well. The Bible, when it describes God, says this first thing, God is light. That's what the whole book opens up with. God is light. And in God... There is no darkness, no sin. God is absolutely holy. We cast our minds back to when Moses met God in the wilderness and he came to the burning bush. The first thing God said to him is, Moses, take off your shoes because the place you're standing is holy. I have come down and God is a holy God. In fact, Isaiah, when he had that vision of heaven, he saw the angels crying out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is a holy God. In fact, Habakkuk writes this in his writings. He said this about God. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That's how holy God is. His eyes are too pure even to look upon evil. God is light. He lives in unapproachable light. No one can see God and live. And yet, when we come to the New Testament, we read these words in James. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Hold on, Pastor, didn't you say that God lives in approachable light? Didn't you say that God is so holy that he cannot even look upon sin? Yes, I did. But when you come into the New Testament, you're encouraged to draw near to a holy, pure God. Which brings us to our Bible reading today. John starts off in chapter 1 by saying, God is light. But when we move on to chapter 4, he introduces another thing about God. Look at what he says. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. In the beginning, we read and we learn that God is light. But now John introduces something else about God. God is is love. And this is the statement we're going to look at throughout our meeting um, this morning. It's another 15, 20 minutes or so. This statement, God is love, is such a profound statement. It is taken casually by so many in our world today. Casually. Oh, God is love. We can do what we like. It's taken so casually, but it is a profound, deep, mighty statement. That God is love. You know, I've got a brother. I love my brother. He's older than me. But my brother has fallen into things that are not good for him. He's fallen into drugs. 
He'd fallen into um, alcohol abuse. He's been in prison for um, minor offences, theft and other things. But he's my older brother and I do love him. I saw him the other day and, and, and I couldn't stop hugging him. He looked so well. And I do love my brother. But I've got two sisters as well. And they make Cinderella's sisters look beautiful. Absolutely two sisters who turn around and say to my mother, get rid of him. He's no good. Don't allow him to come to the house. Don't give him any money. Don't give him anything. He's a horrible person. Tell him to stay away. Cinderella sisters, I call them. But then my mum comes to me in private and she says to me, Jerry, how can I throw my son away? I love him. How can I disown him? How can I see him on the street? I love him. You see, that's what love does. Love is a doing word. You see that in the garden. When God created Adam and Eve and, and, he, and, he, and, and, and he placed them in the garden. He didn't just leave them in the garden. God goes down and he wants to spend time with Adam. He wants to spend time with Eve. And the Bible says that God came down in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam. Why? Because God loved Adam. He loved Eve. And so when we read in the Bible these words. Whoops, my point just is, praise God. Read these words. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. God wanted to spend time with Adam. But then we read these words. And they hid themselves from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? You know, man is still hiding from God. Man is still running from God. But love cries out to man. I don't care where you're hiding. I don't care where you're running to. Love cries out to Adam. Adam, where are you? And God still cries out to men today and women. He still cries out to men and say, where are you? Jerry Sandy, where are you? Jimmy Tibbs, where are you? Will Toy, where are you? Candice, where are you? Betty Girl, where are you? It will cry out to you constantly. Where are you? Love is a doing word. And God cries out to men and women. Even though they might want to be hiding from God, he still calls you by name. And love calls out to you. Now I want to put some same question to you today, are you hiding from God? Now men have separated themselves. In our society, sadly, our society has separated itself from God. Sadly, we see people wanting to leave the kingdom of God. They don't want anything to do with God's kingdom. They'd much rather be involved in doing the wrong things. They rather be involved in Satan's kingdom rather than be involved in God's kingdom. Rather do the thing that pleases the devil rather than thing that pleases God. The Bible says, you know, it is impossible to please God without faith. You have to believe in him. Anything outside of that, I don't care how good you are, how much time you spend in church, 
How many times you have communion? If you don't have faith in God and believe that he is, then all what you do is nothing. Faith in God is paramount. Because the Bible turns around and says that our works are good works. Look what it says in Isaiah. All of us have become like something unclean and all our righteous acts are like polluted garments. Or I like the other version. All our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. That's what we're like. Everything we do that looks good, that may sound good to the people around us without faith and pleasing God, everything that we do, the Bible says, is like filthy rags. And so we come to 1 John 4. And 1 John 4, 9 says this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. All our works are like filthy rags, but God takes action. What does God do? The first thing God does is that God sends someone. You know, many women in World War II sent letters to their husbands and sons while they were in the trenches. We'll be thinking about that next week. While they were in the trenches with all the muds and, and death around them and they're in the trenches and they will pull out their, in their pockets a letter written from their wives or a letter written from their mums and they will read that letter and they will remind them that someone sent them something. Someone sent them. Someone was thinking about them. And someone put pen to paper and wrote to them and sent them something in that place of horror and death. You know, there's a lovely that when you reach the grand old age of a hundred, the queen will send you a telegram. Some of you might be near that, looking forward to your 100th birthday. I can, I can hang on as long as possible for that. But you're looking forward to the day when the Queen will write you and, and send you a telegram when you reach 100. That's nice. But it wouldn't be even more wonderful if the Queen knocked on your door when you're 100 years old and came into your house. That would have been amazing. You know, um, a famous boxer by the name of Michael Watson I went to see him uh, share his testimony. And some of you know the story. Michael, Hosp Michael Watson got punched by, um, I think it was uh, Chris Eubank, and, and it, was a, it was very damaging to his mind. And he was in hospital, unable to walk, unable to speak, unable to move for months. He received a lot of letters from famous people, a lot of wish wishing him well and, and asking um, telling them, you know, that they're praying for him. Everything. We see a lot of letters, but there was one thing that he said in his testament that was amazing. He received a lot of famous letters from the famous people, but one thing that was so wonderful, he had a visit. Not a letter, a visit from the great late Muhammad Ali. Came to his hospital bed in London and walked in there. And Michael Watson said, soon as I saw him, I said my first word. And it's amazing having letters, but having someone come in person is absolutely amazing. And this is what we find here 
When John writes and says these words, God sent his one and only son into the world. When, God, when John writes that, what he is saying by one and only, he is speaking of Jesus' deity. He's speaking about Jesus' divinity. He's saying God didn't send an angel. He didn't just send one of his servants. No, the Bible said that God sent himself in Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus speaks to Thomas, he says, Thomas responded to him, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. When Jesus speaks to Philip, he says to Philip, Jesus said to him, here, have I been with you all this time without you knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me, he says, has seen the Father. When Jesus is speaking to the Jews, he says to the Jews, the Father and I are one. Again, somewhere else, he says this, before Abraham was, I am. The very fact that Jesus came and God sent, not an angel, God sent himself in the person of Jesus Christ in order to save and to deliver you and me. Not just a letter, not just an angel, but God sent himself and the Bible says that Jesus Christ is coming a second time. And look how he describes it in Titus. It says this, while we wait for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God. He says, our great God and our Savior. Who is it? Jesus Christ. That's who's coming back. This is love that God sends. Not just an angel. God comes himself to redeem and to rescue you. But not only that, look what else that verse says to us. It says this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you know how hard it is to live the Christian life? Grant was just mentioning that during the communion, living the Christian life is not a walk in a park. Speaking about parks, I remember my three children, Benjamin, Joseph and Rachel, when it was all very small, we should take them to the park. I should take them to the park. And we go to the park, and, and those of you who had children, you know what the monkey bars are. But those of you who haven't got any children, but what are monkey bars? Well, in the park, they've got a climbing frame, and on the climbing frame, they've got little bars going right across. And the children can swing from one bar to, an, to the other. And my children came in and they saw the big boys and big girls swinging from one bar to another bar. And they said, Daddy, 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 I want to do that. So I picked them up and I put them on the bar and they would just hang there and swing, unmoving like this. And so I had to come and hold them by their waist. And then move them along. And as they moved there along, they felt they were doing it all by themselves. They've been little monkeys in the playground. But they don't realize, they don't think that it was my hands underneath them, holding them up. My hands and my legs moving them along. They don't even consider that whatsoever. All they can see is I'm doing the monkey moves across the bar. I love this verse in the Bible, Deuteronomy. The God of old is your dwelling place and underneath are the everlasting arms. 
My dear friends, you cannot live the Christian life on your own. God himself. You need his hands to be your support. You need his hands to carry you every single day as you move from one bar to the next bar. You cannot do it in your strength. As soon as you turn away from him, you fall down to the ground once again. But it's his hands who's able to uplift you and to hold you and to keep you moving on through life. His hands. You may think sometimes you're doing it all by yourself. But I want to tell you, my dear friends, underneath you is that promise. It's not the temporary arms. It's not the once a week arms. Underneath you is the everlasting arms of God. You live through him. Now, if you don't know him yet, you don't have the arms, you're struggling through life. You don't know him, you're trying to get through life all by yourself. That's the reality of it. But if you do know him, you're turning to him constantly and saying, Oh God, I cannot do this on my own. Oh God, I need your strength. And even though the problem still remains, he is there carrying you through the fire. Carrying you through the flood. Carrying you through the difficulties, carrying you through the pain, carrying you through the sorrow. His hands are constantly lifting you up and carrying you. Praise be to God. I'm so glad I'm a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good news. How wonderful. How wonderful to preach it, how wonderful to hear it. But let me just finish this sermon up. I spoke about love. And I'm going to move my focus from love to hate. So 1 John 4.10 says this. Love consists in this, not that we loved God. That's a lovely way of putting it. Not that we loved God. That's a lovely, palatable way. What actually John is saying is not that we love God. What John is saying is that we actually hated God. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. So in other words, by not saying that we, you know, he's saying here, John is saying that we actually hate God. And listen, people today still hate God. They do. You can speak about any subject in the pubs and in the clubs and the sports environment. Speak about any subject, but as soon as you mention Jesus Christ, they don't want to speak to you much anymore. You can talk about any film, but since you mention something about a, 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 a Bible story or, or, or something you watched on TV about Christ, they don't want to talk about it anymore. People today hate Christ. And the Bible confirms it. It says in, in uh, Romans, Romans 5, for if while we were enemies, enemies, that's what we were. We are, many of us, still enemies. We won't class ourselves as enemies, but that's what we are. We are enemies of God because of the choices we make every single day. Now, I was watching a program the other day. Now, this will only apply to the older ones of you who know this film or this program on TV. The younger ones won't know it very well, but 
Back in the day, in the 70s and 80s, there was a program called Rumpole of the Bailey. And um, this man, Rumpole, was a lawyer or a barrister in the Old Bailey. And he had a lovely wife, a lovely, long-suffering wife. But he always spoke with her about her in terms which wasn't very nice. He called her the one, I think something like, she who must be obeyed, is his terminology to his wife. His wife loved him. And yet, he would much rather be at the Old Bailey than be with his wife. He would much rather be in the wine bar called Polaroids, whatever it's called, and rather than be with his wife. He would much rather smoke his cigar and be with his friends rather than be with his wife. Because he saw his wife as someone who must be obeyed. And so he would speak of her with disparagingly tones. Sadly, so many so-called Christians are very much like that. Sundays come round too quickly for some people. Sundays come round so often and when they get to church, they have to listen to a boring old man for 30 minutes. Have to sing some songs for an indefinite period of time. The only good thing about Sundays is the tea and biscuits served in a hall next door. And we turn around and we look at the church and we say, oh, give me rugby, I can be there all day. Give me the football, I can watch that all, all evening. Give me shopping in Lakeside, I would love to do that. But don't give me church every single Sunday. Can't take that. We have the rumpole Christianity that says... He who must be obeyed. And we're miserable about it. But the truth is, God loves you. Even though you have this rumpole attitude. Everything else is fine. Rather be at work. Rather be down the playhouse. Rather be doing other things. They'd rather be in the house of God. But God still loves you. In fact, the Bible says these wonderful words. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, let me go back. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, how then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? The atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the very fact that he lived, the very fact that he died on that cross, that he was making a sacrifice for you. He was displaying his love for you and for me. He was turning around and saying, even though you wouldn't choose me, I'm choosing you. Even though you don't love me, he says, I'm loving you. And I love what um, the, the word of God says here. We love why? Why do we love him? Why are we here worshipping him? Why is he so important to us? I'll tell you why, says the scriptures. We love him because he first loved us. And it's when God placed that love in your life, 
transforms you and turns you around. Sadly, we have Christians up and down this country today who only love God when they're doing the things he wants them to do. Only love God when God is dancing to their tune. But even though they might have that attitude, God says to them, I still love you. And I'm going to display my love for you by going to the cross and dying for you. Now that message for the two things, for the person who's not a Christian, that message should begin to stir some affection in your heart. Begin to say, wow, do you love me so much that he went to die for me? Not only sent an angel, he came himself. Wow! I can't believe that I'm loved by God so much. That's one reaction. But for the Christian, the reaction should be a little bit different. Lord, how can I serve you? What offering can I bring to you? How can I worship you and love you even more? I'm feeble, even in my best Acts of worship is feeble, but your love blows me away. God, I love you. And I want to serve you. The plain, simple message that God himself did not spare his son, but gave him up for you all. How much more will that same God bless you and give you all things? What a God we serve. Praise be to his name. Let's pray. Oh God Almighty, thank you that underneath us are indeed the everlasting arms. We cannot live this Christian life on our own. We cannot love you. We cannot serve you. But I thank you, oh God, that you carry us, that you strengthen us, that you are with us. I pray, Lord, that every person here will once again look to the cross. And as we look to the cross to see the love that was shown to us there. And in turn, not only love you, but also love one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.